There were two nuns that were supposed to paint the walls in the convent in the different rooms. Mother Superior told them, you got to get this job done, but I don't want you to get any paint whatsoever on your habits. And she walked away, and they go, whoa, how are we going to do this? And so they stood there, and they talked to each other for a while how they were going to do it. So they decided that what they'd do is that they'd just shut the door, and they'd paint naked. And they wouldn't have to worry about their habits getting paint on them. And so they were in there painting like crazy. <laughs> Barbara read it. And uh, there's a knock on the door, and one of the men says, Who's there? And this male voice goes, Blind man. <laughs> and uh, they go, Well, you know, it can't be a problem with a guy that's blind, you know. And so they open the door, and he looks at him. and he goes, Great boobs. Where do you want these blinds hung? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought we'd do that and get spiritual. <laughs> okay. Ready, Sue? Hi, I'm Sue. Hi, Sue. Very grateful member of the Al-Anon family group. Stay I love an alcoholic because I've worked these steps and looked at me. That was bad news in the very beginning. But uh, one of the neatest things that happened with him, with when I worked these steps, he got better. It's just weird the way it works like that, isn't it? So he's a sweetheart today, and I love him a lot. um, All right, tonight we're on the fifth step. And of all the steps, um, when I first went through these steps, the step that I feared the most was the fifth step because I knew that God knew. But if I told somebody else, the jig was up. And I didn't know at the time what the jig was, but I knew it was up. And uh, it would no longer be my secrets is what it was. And, uh, but I wanted to get better, and uh, I wanted to progress in this program, and I knew that this was part of it. And uh, this step is all about uh, honesty and humility. And I think steps one, two, three, and 4 are the steps that get us ready because this step is the beginning of our spiritual experience. Because to be, uh, it humbles us. Because when we first got this program, we asked someone to help us. We walked in and we said, help me. And we asked someone to be our sponsor, and that was kind of scary. And uh, it was really scary for me because I asked a really nice lady to uh, be my sponsor, and then she turned into the till of the hun. <laughs> I think they send, I think they have a sponsor school. And uh, I've been there. It's called Experience, Strength, and Hope. And uh, 
that's all we have to share around here is our experiences. And I believe today that every experience that I've had in my life has been necessary because there's always someone else that needs for it to be shared with them. And that's the spirituality of this program. So in step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And, uh, you know, I uh, was so perfect when I got here. But when I did that fourth step and after I got through that fourth column, I was devastated. And I think that this step is so important. Uh, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about who we do this step with. And uh, I believe that it's very important, anyway it was for me, to do this with the sponsor, to do this with somebody in the program because they know what our goals are. And they understand why we're doing it. In the big book, it talks about you can uh, uh, use clergymen or whatever if you want to. And it talks about how you explain the program to them, the goals you're trying to meet. And for me, that it's easier for me to tell someone that I've gotten close to that I know is supportive of me than it is to go to a total stranger. I believe people that want to go to a total stranger are people that still want to hang on to secrets and still want to manipulate because we went to doctors, psychiatrists, all kinds of stuff. And we got very good, a lot of us, at telling people what we thought they wanted to hear. And in this program, when you share your fourth step with a sponsor, they have been there. They've lived with the disease of alcoholism, and they understand the disease in us, and they understand what our goals are, and they understand that we're trying to get better. And I believe that a good sponsor uh, doesn't sit there and just listen to a fifth step. A good sponsor, when uh, she relates to anything that's in the inventory that she's receiving, will relate experiences that she's had that it's exactly that way. I also believe that it's very important for a sponsor to help point out our assets that we did in our fourth step because it says a fearless moral inventory. And I believe that a lot of us forget about some of the morals that we learned early on in our lives. The disease of alcoholism starts taking those away from us and we think we're all bad when we get here. And we still have some of those principles in our life that we've just forgotten about. And so I think it's very important for a sponsor to point those kind of things out. In the Al-Anon 12 and 12, it says, Humility is the underlying thought of the 12 steps. The pattern was set for us by step one, admitted we were powerless. In step two, we acknowledged a power greater than ourselves. In step three, we were relinquished control by deciding to turn our will and our lives over to that power. In step four, we faced up to our shortcomings. This is, all this is concerned with the quality and purpose of humility. This step is the one that gets us closer to our God and gets us closer to our sponsor. I think that step five has a lot to do with relationships. It has, um, I was going through this step one time, and I, I had been told that, and so I went through, and I, uh, I found the 12 steps for a relationship, and I'll point those out to you. Uh, the first one 
is to is uncovering ourselves to see what we have to offer because we think that we have nothing that we're no good uh, the disease of voice told us that we're bad that we're no good that we're stupid and whatever the second uh step in a relationship is that we admitted to God uh, when I got to my sponsor's house to give her my fifth step we got on our knees and we did the third step prayer together out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that put us in spiritual condition that uh, that our God could both use us as channels to share with one another and he definitely used my sponsor that day as a channel to let me hear the third step is intimate Communication with a higher power, exact nature of me. And in the AA 12 and 12, it talks about holding nothing back. We hold nothing back in this respect. And in the big book, it says uh, that if we do, it talks about in the AA 12 and 12 that alcoholics get drunk if we hang on to anything, which I believe in Al-Anon, we will hang on to... Uh, uh, insanity. Most of us would declare that without fearless admission of our defects to another human being, we could not stay sober. I believe that Alanons cannot stay sane. It seems pla- plain that the grace of God will not enter to expel our destructive obsessions until we are willing to try this. Let me repeat that. It seems... It's at the top of page 57 in the AA 12 and 12. It seems plain that the grace of God will not enter to expel our destructive way, destructive obsessions until we are willing to try this. I had to realize when I came in here that uh, if I was obsessed with anything, I could not love it. That love and obsession could not sleep in the same person. We're in the same bed, and I had to realize that I was obsessed with the alcoholic, and I had to get rid of that obsession, and uh, I had to convert that obsession into this program. My sponsor told me, you are such an obsessive person, I believe that the only way that you're going to get a handle on your obsessive personality is to become obsessed with this program, and uh, that's what I have done. You know, this program is my life today. And uh, it's, um, oh, I can't, I can't uh, begin to tell you how much it's turned our life around because my obsession is this program. Um, I had to go there at first and make an obsession, and now it's just a way of life. It's a natural thing for me. I used to say that... Uh, my mind was like a computer. It needed reprogrammed. And that's what this program has done to it. So step five was the answer. It was the beginning of true kinship with man and God. So once we give this fourth step away to God and another human being, it gets us out of isolation. This is the first step away from isolation. The fourth step of a relationship is a method of communicating with God. It's called honesty. (laughs) Half measures avail us nothing, it says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So we have to get into it. It talks about rigorous honesty. 
And so if we want to get well in this program, we have to get rigorously honest uh, in sharing that first step with another human being and with our God. Five, admitted shortcomings to ourselves. When I uh, did my inventory, I found out that the person that I lied to the most was myself because I didn't want to face up to reality. So it was easier to live in what I thought was right or what I fantasized was right rather than to face the truth. So I had to admit my shortcomings, which is my character defects, to myself and to accept who I really am. The sixth step is character flaws. There's three traits that it talks about in our book. Arrogance, self-justification, and resentment. I don't identify with any of those. <laughs> I'm very humble. I'm non-judgmental, and I've never had a resentment. So that's why I get to do step five and be honest. <laughs> and the reason we have to admit those uh, three traits is because arrogance will separate us from everybody. I am better than... In a meditation book the other day, it talked about conceit, that we needed conceit in our life, and it's a form of self-worth. But like our obsessive personalities with anything we do, we can come, become obsessed with that and become conceited. We can go overboard in any area. So I have to look at my arrogance and say, I'm not any better than anybody else. I'm just as... And I remembered when I was doing my inventory... When I did my resentment on my mother, I had to remember that when I was younger, she used to tell me, you are not better than anybody else, but there's nobody that's any better than you. And I'd forgotten that until I did this inventory. So a lot of the arrogance went away. I realized that uh, my mother was trying to help me when I couldn't hear what she was saying. Uh, Self-justification, my gosh, I justified everything I did. Because of his drinking, if he didn't drink, I wouldn't have to be this way. And uh, today, uh, I did a lot of prayer and meditation on self-justification and on uh, judging others. Because I'm going to world service tomorrow, and... Uh, and I've worked a lot on today about being at acceptance. Resentments, they kill us. It talks about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that uh, resentments are the greatest offenders and that uh, if we hang on to resentments, and it's like we all know this, we've all experienced this at one time or another, either in or out of this program, I will get one little uh, resentment at somebody and I end up taking it out on somebody else. And then, uh, you know, they'll, they don't know what in the heck I'm angry about or what I'm going off on them about, and they'll say something back to me, so I get a resentment toward them. And it just keeps building and building and building. You know, and pretty soon it's just, I don't like anybody. I'm mad at everybody. And uh, nobody's doing anything right. And poor me. Because all those resentments lead to self-pity. And so I had to... When I did my fourth step, I had to lay all those things down. But in the fifth step, 
I get to admit to God and, and uh, to another human being all of that about those three traits about me in order for me to feel better about me, in order for me to get well. Or weller. I don't think that anybody ever gets well. I hope I don't because I've seen people graduate that get well, and I don't want to get well enough to graduate. I'd rather stay sick like you and have, be, have you be my friends. <laughs> Seven. This. Uh, seventh step of relationships is looking up faults and how we react to people. Um, in looking at my faults, looking how I react to people, it really doesn't matter what somebody's doing. It's how I react to, to what that person's doing that makes a problem in my life. Um, like at work, I used to get... Uh, real paranoid because every time a manager would shut the door I knew they were discussing me you know and uh, so I had to get real of how I reacted to people or if somebody just made a comment uh, about somebody in the office is blah 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 or hanging around the coffee break at a meeting and walk up and hear somebody talking about somebody else I could think oh my gosh they're talking about me or if I hear him say something, I could go up and butt in and put in my two cents. Then I'm either uh, caught up in the gossip or I've offended somebody. So my reaction to people wasn't always the sanest thing, actions that I took. So today what I get to do is I get to uh, stop the negative reactions. I get to uh, stop and think you know, you see those thank signs all over meetings. Those are for Al-Anons. Alcoholics, they say, can't afford to think. At, uh, Al-Anons need to stop and think before we do anything. I used to sponsor two ladies, and one I would say, she was always rationalizing and diagnosing and, um, what do you call it? analyzing everything and I'd say don't think and then I sponsored the other lady that she'd just go off and do whatever just react and all this stuff and I'd go think before you say or do anything think and so they came up to me one day together <laughs> and they said what is wrong with you and I said what are you talking about what's wrong with me and they said, well, you tell me to think and you tell her not to think. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? And I said, it's not me. You analyze too much and you don't think at all. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you can't sponsor everybody the same way, which is true of the fifth step. You can't receive a fifth step the same way you received the last fifth step because there's different personalities you're dealing with. You know, um the eighth step of relationships, attitude slash action, can create unwelcome results. That's like one time Keith and I were having a fight in our house, and a guy came in, he knocked on the door, and we opened the door, and Keith said, what are you doing here? And I threw the vacuum sweeper at him. I was aiming at Keith, but he had stepped out of the way. 
So my actions were very uh, unwelcoming results for that guy. (laughs) So I never stopped to think, how's my attitude going to affect others? And uh, you walk around in doom and gloom. Pretty soon you look around yourself and and count your friends because you're going to be standing alone after a while. uh, You walk around with a positive attitude and have a smile on your face whether you feel like smiling or not, and you will never be alone. And so with my um, attitude and my actions, when I took this step with my sponsor, I had to uh, have an open mind, be honest, and be willing to hear what she had to say with me. Because what she did with me that was so important with my attitude and actions is that she pointed out to me that I reacted and had the same attitude about everything, no matter who it was or what the resentment was, that all of my attitude and my actions were the same. And uh, you have to have an attitude and actions that, uh, that match the situation, whatever it is. Some situations require uh, most of them require positive attitudes. If I walk into a negative situation rather than taking up a bad attitude and taking uh, bad actions toward it, what I do anymore is I walk away. Say, excuse me, I don't want to be part of this. The ninth step in relationships that we have to look at is habits. Habits are thoughts, actions, and speech. It's the way we think, the way we act, and the way we speak. And I, I definitely had to uh, look at the way I was talking to others. And I had to change that. Uh, many of you have heard me many times about uh, a lady that came up to me one night and she got a new dress and she goes, I got this new dress, how do you like it? You know, how do I look in it? And I said, I think you look fat. And uh, she marched off. And my sponsor came up to me later, and she goes, why did you say that to her? And I said, she asked me. (laughs) And she said, why did you have to be so brutal with her? And I said, if she doesn't want the truth, why is she asking me? She knows I'm honest. And she said, you need to learn how to say things. And I said, like what? And she said, like, you could have said, you have other things that I like on you better. And I said, yeah, that don't make her look fat. And she said, uh, no, you have to learn how to talk to people. She said, uh, truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is people-pleasing. And she said, you need to find a center. You need to find a balance in that. So I tried to go from not being brutally honest with people and, of course, like the pendulum swings, I swung over to the other side and I found myself being a people pleaser and wanting to kill everybody around me. And I said, I can't do this. Because, see, I found out in my fifth step that all of my thoughts and actions, the way I talked to people, was very cruel. Very cruel. And... uh, so I had to change the way I said things to people, you know, and uh, took a lot of effort to do that. It was not my nature to sugarcoat, what I call sugarcoating, and uh, it was not my nature. I felt like if I 
became a more caring person that I was wussing out because I'd always been very strong. <coughs> what I have found out in what we studied in the third step, that there is a freedom, there is an independence to being dependent on my God and to being the kind of person that I, that I think my God wants me to be, which is kind, gentle, and loving and not so brutally honest. The tenth step, refrain from guilt and judgment even on others. I had to learn how to, uh, you know, in my fifth step, yes, I did do all these things. I had a lot of, uh, I found out, a lot of false guilt in my inventory. Um, and I had a lot of false fears in my inventory. I found out that... Uh, um, some of the guilt and some of the judgments that I had, I had taken on others' opinions. And they weren't my own. I had taken on the opinion of the alcoholic when I was younger. I had taken on the opinion of my mother about things like uh, storms. I was scared to death of uh, thunderstorms because thunderstorms left to tornadoes, led to them. And I was scared to death of tornadoes. And... Uh, I have found out that being in a thunderstorm doesn't mean there's going to be a tornado. And I used to get just tremendously fearful when it started raining and thundering and lightning. And uh, when I got to California, the first uh, earthquake I experienced, I was sitting in a beauty shop, and I was that's when you sit under a dryer. And... Uh, my dryer chair started shaking, and I thought this lady next to me was kicking it. And I said, quit it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they're going, why don't I go, quit it? She's kicking my chair. And they said, no, look out in the parking lot. And I looked out there, and all of the cars were waving. And I go, what in the heck is going on? And they said, we're having an earthquake. We're having an earthquake. And I said, what are you afraid of? Because it quit. And I said, what are you afraid of? you got great weather for it. Yeah, because if it clouded, you know, bad, bad nature things like that started out with dark clouds, thunder and lightning. You don't get any of that with earthquakes. And it's like, sun's out, no problem. So, so I had to learn a lot of different things based on the circumstances that I was in and accept things for what they are based on my feelings and not other people's feelings. And that there's things that I could be afraid of and things I didn't have to be afraid of. You know, Thank God I've never had to go through a, a really terrible, horrible earthquake. And because I haven't, I don't have any fear of them. At, um, and living in California, I don't have any fear of thunder and lightning anymore. And maybe if I went to visit Texas and they had one, I might get scared again. But not like I used to be as a kid, tremble and hide under the bed and all that kind of stuff. So I, in this inventory, I had to look at this kind of stuff and realize what are my patterns, what are my habits, what are my reactions, what are my thoughts, what is my judgments, what are my self-justifications? Who am I? Number 11, listen to others' response. Oh, my God, that's a waste of time. 
because no matter what they say, they're wrong. You know? Or they're so lame, I don't want to hear it anyway. You know? So I had to look at that, and uh, what I got to learn is that listening is one of the tools of communication. I thought that communication was when you were talking to somebody. And I learned in this program that part of communication is when I'm listening to somebody. And I have to listen to their whole sentences. I used to be very bad about butting in and finishing your sentences for you because you didn't talk fast enough or think fast enough for me. And uh, so I had to learn to have tolerance and patience and learn to listen to others, to their responses to me. <coughs> Excuse me. And when I did that, what I got to see is that a lot of people's responses to me will tell me a lot about me. How are they responding to me? Are they responding to me in a negative way? Do they look scared when they're responding to me? Or are they smiling when they respond to me? It all depends upon what my actions and my judgments and uh, my arrogance and all of that kind of stuff. Communicate. There is so much communication that goes on with body language. And I think Al-Anons are very good at that. You know, like somebody, the alcoholic. What's wrong with you? And you jerk your head and flip your shoulder and you go, nothing. <laughs> or the classic, well, if you don't know. <laughs> so I had to look a lot of my patterns in this fifth step. And it was only with the help of a sponsor that I learned how to do that because I was humble enough to hear I was humble enough to hear what she was saying and pointing out to me. And the twelfth rule of a relationship is using past experiences as opportunities to help others. And for me today, that's the most valuable one. Using past experiences as opportunities to help others. If I have an experience that... uh, you know, we have surrenders all in this program. I thought that when I came in here, you surrender and that's it. And uh, what I've gotten to realize, there's a lot of surrenders on a regular basis in this program. At the time I was going through or do today, I understand it better today, but in the beginning when I would go through a surrender, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And I would fight it. And what I had to do is give up, let God work in my life, and just do it one day at a time. I remember my sponsor used to tell me, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill her, I'm going to kill myself. And she would say, not today. Not today. And there used to be this uh, long-timer AA down in Texas. He'd say, Take a nap. And I think that is so stupid. You know. Um, and not very long ago, I had a resentment that I was working on, and I was tired, and I uh, took a nap, and I woke up with a whole new attitude. And I don't even remember today what it was, but I remember that old man down in Texas saying that, and I thought, Jesus, it still works. Yeah, it still works. Take a nap. That... Uh, 
Any surrender I go through, what I realized is that the things that I've learned and the surrenders that I've been through are necessary. Every one of them has been necessary for me to learn what I need to learn about me and need to learn about God's world and the people in God's world. All of the surrenders that I've gone through have been learning experiences for me. And I believe today in... If they are not learning experiences, we have to go through them over and over and over again until we learn what the lesson is in that surrender. Once we learn the lesson of that surrender, we don't ever have to go through it again if we don't choose to. And what I've learned about uh, these experiences in my life today is that, uh, you know, with having 28 and a half years, when I go through a surrender, I don't stay there as long. I surrender much faster. Uh, because uh, I don't like the pain. I just flat don't like the pain. And uh, so it's like, okay, God, whatever. And the solution for me is always acceptance exactly where I'm at. I used to think that it was either black or white. And when I did this fifth step with my sponsor, she got to point out to me um, resentments that I had, things that happened to me weren't all black and white, that God always has a third answer. And uh, I believed what this fifth step did for me with my sponsor is make me believe. She believed, and I believed that she believed. Therefore, it made my spiritual experience in going further in this program more willing to go there. I became twice as willing to do the other uh, seven steps that were waiting on me. And uh, what I got to, to find out about humility, I always thought, you know, of humiliation and that kind of stuff. What I got to find out in this program is humility is very spiritual. Humility is not thinking less of myself. That humility is thinking of myself less. Because when I'm in a humble place, I'm not thinking about me and what I want and what's supposed to happen with me. I'm thinking about others. Just like I had to uh, what happened today, and has, it's been a process for the last week of uh, our assembly meeting that's coming up tomorrow. And the process has been that I have gone from what I want to what is going to be. And to get out of the personalities and to get into the principles of what is best for this program. So tomorrow, because I'm a long-timer in this program, I am going to show up there to be supportive of the GRs and DRs in my home group. And to be there as a long-timer that, uh, if I'm asked, I will share my experiences. Just like tonight, we voted on the recorder and the delegate called me, or the treasurer for World Service. And a delegate called me the other night and asked me how I thought that vote would go. And I said, uh, it's a no-brainer. It's common sense. That person moved out of the Southern California World Service area. That person is no longer eligible to hold an office in Southern California World Service area. 
And she said, well, the board didn't know what to do about it. We couldn't find it in the manual. And I said, it is in the manual. And she said, do you know where? And I said, no, but I've experienced it. I said, when the alternate delegate had her stroke, I was asked by the area chairman to be alternate delegate. And I served in that capacity for about four months. And what happens then is when the area chairman points an elected officer to the board, then that, when they get to the assembly meeting, that person is presented as a new board member and the assembly votes on it. And uh, at that assembly that day, I was not voted in as the alternate delegate and another person was voted in as the alternate delegate. And I said, so I know what happens? And she said, well, do you know how hard it is to find a good treasure? And I said, duh. When I was area chairman, our treasure embezzled from the board. And everything she asked me, I had an experience to back up with, to share with her. I didn't tell her what to do or how to do it. I shared an experience that I had gone through because I've served... For, uh, three times on that board. <coughs> I didn't tell her where it's at or, or what it says. I shared the experience and the method in which was taken to get to a solution in what they're going through today. That's why I had that experience, I'm sure. That's why I was not elected delegate. That's why I was asked to serve for a period of time because this week the delegate needed to know, what do we do? And I said, this is what happens. Well, if they don't vote on them, then you elect somebody else like they did when I, they didn't vote on me. I had all the experience to back that up. And because I'd done a fifth step with my sponsor, I no longer have the guilt of any of the circumstances that happened to me because of my fifth step, I found out that all of my experiences are learning experiences so I can become a better person, so I can learn of what not to be and what not to do. And I don't have to feel guilty because my sponsor said I didn't have to because the rest there were other steps coming along that was going to take care of that. And I believed her because she supported me. This step is the ultimate communication with the higher power that made us feel all the more free to bring out everything that needed to come to light. In consciously telling God, we enlightened ourselves about the way in which we wanted to change. Our method of communicating with God depended on our personal view and our relationship with Him. Some of us might speak to him in thoughts, perhaps visualizing him as a kind, understanding presence or as an impersonal, universal spirit. And what happened to me in my fifth step is when my sponsor and I got on our knees and we did our third step before I gave her my inventory, is that God was invited into that room. And I knew God's presence was there. I knew she was working a program. And I wanted what she had, and I knew she would be honest with me, and I did not fear that. 
It says that one of our major problems, major faults, is isolation. This step is the first step that takes us away from that isolation. We realize that we were hurting, not only hurting ourselves, but the person against whom we felt a resentment. So when I gave my resentments to my sponsor and I I ran it through the four columns and told her why I had the resentments and I looked at that fourth column and she pointed out, do you realize how much that hurt you? Or do you realize that you were the one that was hurt more than the other person? It says in our Alan on 12 and 12 on page 33, and I have it underlined in red, and it's uh, the second paragraph up from the bottom, usually, which I say always, we do not choose a family member or a close relative. And I believe the reason it says that is because we have already hurt them enough. If they knew the exact nature of our wrongs, it would devastate them. Or the alcoholic. And I believe if you choose to do that with the alcoholic, you're getting even. I did not leave my inventory laying around so others could read it. I kept it hidden while I was writing my inventory, and I kept it with me when I was not at home because I did not want my family members to get a hold of it and read some of that stuff and hurt some more. And uh, my husband did an inventory. I did not read his. That is a major, major no-no. We do not take our inventories, our fifth steps with the alcoholic, nor do we let them take theirs with us. We don't need to know everything that goes on in the active disease of alcoholism. It is so devastating. We need to come here and get rid of all of our stuff so we will get better. If we allow that, if we get better, we will be a great example to the other people in our lives that they can be more open and honest with us and trust us. This step is the first step that I ever had the feeling of trust because I believe my sponsor was helping me and did not. Her purpose was not to hurt me. You know, just like I shared last week about uh, when we did the four-column inventory on the board, uh, I put sponsor on there. And uh, one of the girls I understand shared in the Wednesday night meeting that one of her sponsorees had uh, taken her inventory, and then after that meeting, one of the newcomers asked her sponsor, so I can take your inventory? And I said, if she's getting resentments in their building, of course she can. But the main purpose of a sponsor is to take my inventory. And I help the people I sponsor to take their inventory. My sponsorees don't take my inventory. That's what my sponsor's for. If you have a resentment at me, please tell me and let's work it out. But I'm not going to let people going around taking my inventory all the time. I had a gal ask me one time to be her sponsor, and she she said, but there's seven things about you that I don't like that you're going to have to change. (laughs) And what I got to realize that night is that I might have defects of character that are driving you up the wall, but if they're not bothering me, they are not defects of character yet. 
And when they bother me and they cause me pain, they have become a defect of character to me, and I have to change that. But I got to look at my uh, fourth step and go through my fifth step and look at those defects of character with my sponsor. And then as we go on through the steps, we'll find out how to take care of all of those. So um, it was also important for our confidant, which is our sponsor, to have knowledge of the program and the purpose of this step. I believe that it is very important that the person that I ask to be my sponsor has a sponsor and has worked these steps. And I don't think that anybody can say that's not the case in this group. You know, but I know that uh, I have met across the country a lot of long-timers that never, never did a written inventory. They, they say, well, I did my inventory as I shared in meetings. And they were usually people in small rural areas that didn't have the opportunity to have a lot of long-timers around them to have choices of sponsorship. And so they used the group to take their inventory with, piece by piece, little by little. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't want to stay sick that long. And so I got mine on paper and gave it away as soon as I could. And it says in here in the Allen on 12 and 12 on 34, if we were able to avoid feelings of guilt, and this goes back to step 10 in the rules for a relationship, after all the faults we described were those that we were not even aware of before we began our effort at self-improvement, we try to refrain from passing judgment even on ourselves. Uh, I got to learn uh, by doing my fifth step with my sponsor that there are judgments that are good. I can have some good judgments. It's a pretty good judgment to not just blindly walk out in the middle of the street or the freeway. It is, uh, and when it comes to people, uh, I've always been very judgmental with people, but what I got to learn about that is that uh, I don't always go on first impressions anymore. I try to get a, to know a person, but if I am not looking at a person to evaluate them. How am I going to know the difference between the losers and the winners? Because I was told early on to hang out with the winners. If I look at somebody and I go, they got a strong program, I want to hang out with them, they're enjoying life, they're on the good path, that's a judgment. That is definitely a judgment, and I want to be in that kind of judgment. I want to be in that person's life because I want to be happy and joyous and free. No matter how difficult we found this part of step five, it's talking about giving it away to somebody else, it brought a tremendous sense of relief. Now, a lot of people, they used to say, oh, I did my fifth step and, you know, firecrackers, everything run off. It, that didn't happen with me. That absolutely did not happen. But I felt this... It's like the world came off my shoulders. I felt this huge burden gone. And uh, I felt relief. And I can get on with more recovery. It enlightened our own burden to share it with another for whom it was not a burden. And that's why we don't share it with people that we're close to. Uh, it's just like... Uh, 
Kim came in this program and brought her other f friend named Kim. Kim can't sponsor Kim too because she's been close with her all her life and she's a very uh, close personal friend involved in her life. She can't sponsor her friend because she's too involved with her, emotionally involved with her. And so she suggested that her friend wait and listen to people sharing meetings and, and uh, find someone she was attracted to and ask them to be her sponsor. But she was able to lead her in here, to 12-step her and say, and her friend said, you know, what has happened to you? So she was able to lead her in here, but she couldn't uh, sponsor her. And so all of these things gave us the opportunity to help others. This fifth step is the beginning that leads us to the twelfth step. It's making us realize, it made me realize, that all of my experiences were totally necessary in order for me to get to you, in order for me to get to God. And that was the purpose of my journey. And then I have to use this now. It's my greatest asset. It talks in the big book on page uh, 124. I love that page. The spiritual path may be of infinite value to other families still struggling with their problem. We thank each family which has been relieved owes something to those who have not. And when the occasion requires, each member of it should be only too willing to bring former mistakes, no matter how grievous, out of their hiding places. Showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that, in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. To me, that is a very, very powerful paragraph. And that is the whole purpose of me being able to get do my fifth step with my sponsor because it freed me up enough. I had the trust. I had the faith in her. And doing the fifth step gave me the trust in her and my God in this program that I could do exactly what that paragraph said after I finished the steps. This step is getting me ready to work with others because it's giving me an example of somebody working with me. It is helping me to learn how to be in a relationship with other people. If I still have all of those old character defects and I'm brutally honest, nobody's going to ask me to be their sponsor. But if I start softening it up and uh, I learn to be less judgmental and look at what is rather than what is not, then I'm starting to build my character back to a healthy state and I will be an attraction to somebody. I remember my sponsor wouldn't let me sponsor anyone for two years, the first two years I was here. She said, because uh, you carry the message, not the mess. And uh, I tried to prove her wrong, and there was a newcomer in our meeting, and I was going to a Saturday night AA speaker meeting. 
with my sponsor. Keith was out of town, and I was going with my sponsor, and I'd go to this AA speaker meeting with her every Saturday night when Keith was gone. And so this one Saturday night, I told this newcomer, you need to go to some AA speaker meetings so you will know that you don't live with the only crazy sucker in town, because that's what I was told. And uh, she looked at me, oh, okay. And uh, I told her I'd save her a seat. And so I kept watching for her. And she came in, and I hollered at her, come over here, come on, i got a seat saved for you. And she walked up to me, and she goes, no, I'm going to sit over there. And I said, no, you can't. I saved you a seat right here. This is your seat. And she goes, no, I'm not going to sit by you. And I said, why not? And she said, I don't like you. And my sponsor was sitting next to me, and she said, Did you hear it? (laughs) So I had to become a more loving, caring person about others. And it says uh, on page 35 in that first paragraph, I can use what I have learned to sponsor others, and that is the main purpose of this program. Highlight it, underline it, cut it out, paste it to the mirror in your bathroom. And it says in here, my sponsor listened, just listened. I would have been devastated if my sponsor had just listened and hadn't given me her input and hadn't let me know that I she had done a lot of things just like I had because if she hadn't done that, I would have still been a bad girl. And by her sharing those things with me, I was no longer bad. I was just a sick girl trying to get well. It says, what relief it gave me to unburden myself and what a sense of freedom. That's the that I was talking about. I will try to share my experiences without suggesting solutions with others. I want a sponsor that suggests solutions to me. I want a strong sponsor that's not afraid to tell me what I'm doing wrong and says you're in the problem. This is the solution. When I call my sponsor today, a 20-minute phone call is a long conversation with my sponsor. She does not chit-chat. We don't talk about weather. We talk about people that I sponsor. And if I have a problem, we talk about the solution, and she is done and off the phone. She never, ever gets into the problem with me, ever. There's no yeah buts. There's no let me put it another way. My sponsor is very direct and to the point. And today she wanted to talk to me about some things, and she said, I've got to go now. I will call you Sunday morning. Will you be home Sunday morning? And I said, yes, I will. And she said, I'll talk to you about the rest of this Sunday morning, but I can't spend the time with you right now. I didn't say, oh, oh my God, she didn't like me. <laughs> I said, okay, thank you. You know why? I have matured. I don't take, this fifth step helped me to learn how to not take everything so personal. It's not all about me. Thank God. Can you imagine if this world was built around me? How unimportant you would be? I remember a lady by the name of Elsa Chamberlain telling me one time, I said to her, 
Elsa, when I, she was 83 years old when I said this to her. And I was 30 some years old. And I said, Elsa, I want to be just like you when I grow up. And she said, no, you don't. Don't ever say that again. She said, you want to be just what like you when you grow up. You want to be the person that God wants you to be. She said, because God only made one set of fingerprints. If he had made two just alike, one of them would have been unnecessary. And you are a very necessary person in this world. And that's the kind of self-worth that we have to develop. We are necessary. Every one of us. There's a lot of people in this room tonight. I do not have an experience that will match everybody's experience in here. Some of you have had experiences that I have not had. I can't help everybody in this room, but I bet you there's somebody in there that in here that has. That's why we have a lot of meetings, is that we go to different meetings, we listen to people share, and one day, one day, might not have to be your sponsor, it wasn't mine, you will hear your own story. I'll tell you a story real quick before I end that was the most powerful, powerful fifth step I ever heard in my life. And I'll never forget it. This little gal in her 20s had asked me to be her sponsor, and, and I was taking her through the steps. And she came over at my house, and the house we lived in that time had a big bonus room upstairs, and that's where we did all of our fifth steps. And her and I went up there, and it was about two-thirds as long as this hall. And we went up there, and, and we did the third step prayer on our knees, and then she started reading me her inventory. Her father was the alcoholic. Her mother was the non-alcoholic. And she had so many resentments toward her mother. Not the alcoholic. Toward her mother. And I started crying. I was just boohooing. And she said, oh my gosh, do you want me to stop? And I said, no, I need to hear this. And she kept reading her inventory, and I started walking back and forth up and down that room, crying like a baby. Most healing fifth step I've ever received. You know why? I felt like I was listening to my daughter's inventory. That little girl was the most important thing in my life up to that point that helped me realize that I had to change my relationship with my daughter and all the damage that I had actually done to her. I knew when I did my fifth step that I had amends to make and that I'd done a lot of stuff that was wrong, that was bad, that was horrible, that was immature, that was damaging to her. But until I heard it come out of that little gal's mouth and the feelings that she shared behind it, I got the impact and my relationship with my daughter changed immediately. So we don't know who's going to be helped by this fifth step. Usually the person that is giving away the fifth step gets the most help because you have a sponsor that has more time than you and has gone through these steps. 
But it's a two-way sharing experience. And the sponsor needs to share experiences back for, to you. And it's a great bonding experience between your God and another human being. But don't ever think that because you're a sponsor, it might not help you. Thank you very much.